When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104 6 and 1 podcast. This is going to be episode 22. I'm going to start it off with a week 8 NFL recap, and then I'm going to transition into an NCAA recap as we have a lot of big matchups coming up in the next couple of weeks. We have a lot of information in regards to school shutting down, aka Wisconsin. Uh, We have some NBA rumors to talk about as well as some MLB rumors. Uh, So today we're going to have a kind of a, a summary with a lot of things kind of being out of the loop. Obviously, basketball being over, baseball being over, hockey being over, um... It's pretty much just all focused on NFL football and college football and obviously NCAA basketball coming up in the next 23 to, I don't know, three, three and a half weeks, or should I say. So diving right in, um, we're going to talk about some interesting matchups that I found to be upsets as well as surprises. Uh, I'm going to start it off right off the bat with the Vikings and Packers game. I don't think anyone in the world saw the Minnesota Vikings going into Lambeau and then winning this game at all. Dalvin Cook is further showing me why I should shut up with my predictions and opinions in certain aspects because Lord knows this man has earned every ounce and every cent of his contract this season. He had 163 yards rushing, three touchdowns, and he had 63 yards receiving and a touchdown. The passing game just was not a thing today in Minnesota, or should I say in Green Bay, only because the wins were ridiculous in Lambeau. So Kirk Cousins only had 160 yards and a touchdown, but he only had three incompletions. This was all Dalvin Cook all day long. So, I mean, you name it, Dalvin did it all, and it was enough to beat the Vikings because Green Bay ended up coming back and winning this game 28-22, to like I had stated Um on the Green Bay portion of it, Aaron Rodgers did his thing. He found ways to get the ball downfield. He had 291 yards and three touchdowns, so it wasn't because of the lack of production on Green Bay's end. It is Green Bay's inability to be able to stop any form of offense that Minnesota threw their way. Because from the highlights that I saw, Minnesota dominated on every aspect of it. And the best part is... Green Bay was doing their thing too because Jamal Adams had 75 yards rushing. So it definitely wasn't because their offense was inconsistent. It's just Minnesota was doing what they needed to do and then they shut out Green Bay in the third quarter. But then you can say that Green Bay retaliated and then shut down Minnesota in the fourth, the most important quarter, which is why Green Bay made it a six-point game. Minnesota ends up getting the uh, game-sealing sack on Aaron Rodgers in the fourth and Minnesota goes on to win. They're 2-5. and five. Green Bay is 5-2. and two. Their last two games, obviously, are coming in losses. So, 
The NFC North, to me, is still wide open. Obviously, Chicago went out and lost a close one in New Orleans this past weekend, and I'll get into that shortly, but the uh, the North is still available for those of you that are wondering. Uh, another surprise, or should I say not really? So here's here's my take on this game. The Bengals and Titans, the Bengals won this game 31-20, to and uh, shout out to the Four Culture podcast, uh, a friend of mine, Luke Diamond, and then the, his co-anchor, Jason Spears, have been running that podcast for some time now, and they're all Colts all the time, but at the same time, they do touch up and reference a lot of other NFL news that is going around, and a lot of people were giving them a, uh, some hate, a lot of Titans fans especially were giving them some hate, talking about how could we have a close game against the Cincinnati Bengals? How could the Indianapolis Colts be down 21 to nothing in the first quarter against the Cincinnati Bengals? They are terrible. If we're struggling against the Bengals, we're going to be struggling, if not get destroyed by the Titans. And what happened to Tennessee this weekend? Tennessee lost. They didn't just lose. They got embarrassed. And Tennessee could not do anything to stop Joe Burrow. And the best part is Joe Mixon didn't even play. Arguably one of their best offensive talents on that side of the ball. Derrick Henry did his thing, obviously. No one's going to be able to stop King Henry. He had 112 yards rushing and a touchdown at 6.2 yards per carry. Ryan Tannehill decided to turn it up a little too late. He had 233 with, a t- with two TDs and a pick. But I mean, from start to finish, Cincinnati just... They had it rolling, converting on third downs, finding ways to take advantage of mismatches. Tennessee just showed their inconsistencies in their secondary, letting go of Logan Ryan. Uh, Malcolm Butler is not the same player that he once was. A.J. Green actually looked like a shred of his former self in his earlier years this game. Uh, Tyler Boyd was showing out and doing what he needed to do, and so on and so forth. The Cincinnati team should not be trifled with. I mean, genuinely, I just, again, I wasn't in awe. I wasn't in shock, but I was. It just it, it it furthered my point that Cincinnati is not a walkover team. They are not a team to be disrespected. A lot of their games have definitely been close ones. And again, I'm pretty sure I stated this a few weeks ago. They take all of their games aside from what is it? Yeah, every single game except for the game against the Ravens has been within one score. Let's backtrack. Last week against the Browns, lost by three points, 37-34. Against us, we came back and won that against the Colts, 31-27. The Ravens game, which I just said, they lost 3-27. The Jaguars game, they won that handedly, but once again, it's a win, so that doesn't necessarily count as a close one. I'm talking about losses. The Eagles game, they tied at 23. The other Browns game, the Browns won by five. And then the Chargers game to start the season, they lost by three. Cincinnati has been in every single game this season, and I believe their only inconsistency, or should I say their only consistency, has been the fact that they have absolutely zero offensive line. Joe Burrow has been the most sacked quarterback in the NFL through eight weeks, which we all knew was going to happen. And the fact that they are still competing game in and game out only furthers my point that Joe Burrow is going to be a phenomenal rookie in this league. Or should I say a phenomenal player? The kid can make all the throws, can make all the reads, can find ways to get people, throw people open downfield, and at the same time can manage a game. They led this game the entire way, and he found ways to make sure that the Bengals held on to win. Their defense did a little bit also. We can't discredit them as well because they did force a couple of turnovers. But at the same time, Joe Burrow did just enough to make sure they won this game. 
Joe Burrow went two four, had 249 and two TDs. Gio Bernard substituting, obviously, for the injured Joe Mixon for the last couple of weeks. He had 62 yards with a touchdown. Shamaj P. Ryan had 32 yards with a touchdown. But it, it really came down to the equal distribution of the football. And I know I just said A.J. Green had a... It, it looked like he had a great game. I misinterpreted. I thought... I don't know why. I saw 85, and I, and I, I meant T. Higgins had a great game. A.J. Green only had 19 yards. That is my mistake. That's my error. Uh, T. Higgins, the stud wide receiver coming out of Clemson, had an amazing game with uh, 78 yards. Tyler Boyd doing the usual that he does every week, uh, 67 yards with a touchdown. And then the you know the list continues to go on. But at that at that at that point, it uh, the Bengals are not a team to sleep on. Are they going to win anything serious in the next year or two? Probably not. But if they're going to continue to play competitive, but continue to lose at that point, take the losses. Draft up some offensive linemen. Draft up some defensive players in the next couple of years. Maybe make some trade acquisitions. And they, they, they can make a run in the north. Ben's getting old. So Ben's going to last maybe a year or two. Lamar Jackson seems to be getting his stuff figured out. Cleveland, I don't know if they're real or not. But, I mean, the Bengals can make competition with them. Obviously losing those games very close each each time they played them. I just think Joe Burrow is probably... The, <laughs> I don't want to say one of the better rookie quarterbacks to come out of the draft in a long time because Justin Herbert's having a great year too. But it, I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. He's not like every other rookie. The man is so poised, so calm, and just so aware of every situation that comes his way in this in this season. He just doesn't look like a rookie to me. He really looks... Like he's been in the league for five or six years. The way he can just rally the team behind him, keep everybody together, and then just get on the field and go out there and make the plays. I mean, let, let's be honest. He's got the arm strength for it. He's got the accuracy for it. Has he made mistakes? Absolutely. He's a rookie, and every NFL quarterback makes mistakes. But a lot of players, even some starters that have been around, don't even look this calm, don't look this good. So the Bengals did win that game, and I am very happy to say that they beat Tennessee because, you know, we needed that. Uh, the Colts ended up winning the game against the Lions. We dominated them by 20. Easily could have been a little bit more. Defense let up a couple of plays later in the game. Offense had an incredible game. Phillip Rivers played lights out. But again, not a surprise. Just had to mention it because, you know, squad for the shoe. Uh, the Steelers and the Ravens went all the way down to the wire. Pittsburgh wins 28-24. Like I said, Pittsburgh is the best team in the AFC as of right this second. Defense is playing great. Offense is playing better. So that's not a surprise for me. That I called. The Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins. Shout out to my little brother. And shout out to a lot of the Dolphins fans that I've met across the board throughout the state of Florida. But but Tua started this game. And Tua didn't have to do a damn thing. It was all defense the entire way. Miami just went out there and just dominated on that side of the football. Miami just erupted in the second quarter for 21 points. And they didn't have to score a single point afterwards because the... It was 27 to freaking, oh no, 28 to 10 at half. And then what happened? The Rams didn't score again in the third, and then they managed to only scrummage up one touchdown later. Tua Tungavailoa only had 93 yards in his debut, and that touchdown to Devontae Parker in the end zone. That's all they needed to do. Gaskin, 47 yards and a touchdown. Terrible. The offensive line could not get a push, but they did enough just to win. I, 
like I said, the Dolphins' offense, it wasn't the offense. It was the fact that the defense found ways to create turnovers, go out there, and make plays. Shaq Lawson, Ogba all had sacks. We had two interceptions. We had Wilkins have a pick. Eric Rowe had a pick. You name it, the Dolphins did it on all, on all fronts. They had a punt return for a touchdown. So, I mean, they did what they needed to do. It, I can't really express to you how surprised I was that Miami dominated the Rams team, this Rams team, so well. Because the Rams were 5-2. and two. I had talked about it last week, how they were easily a, a favorite to squeak in and go in there into the NFC and sneak into the playoffs, into a wild card spot. If not, maybe win the division, depending on how the NFC West ended up falling apart. Or, you know, you know, falling through the season. Jared Goff threw the ball 61 times, completed 35 passes, had 355 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions, as I stated before. And the offense as a whole rushing, I mean, Darrell Harrison Henderson had 47 yards, Malcolm Brown had 40 yards, Cam Akers had 35. So it wasn't because the defense, or should I say, it wasn't because Miami's defense was locking them down, because the offense definitely produced, and they definitely had over 450 yards total. But they, the Dolphins' defense created turnovers when they needed, and for, quite frankly, it just it did not seem like the Rams could touch Tua. They had one sack, and that was by Aaron Donald. Obviously, it's a given. No interceptions. Doesn't seem like there were any fumbles. Again, I did not watch the Miami game. I was obviously stuck on the Colts game, but it just... The Rams, if you look at the stat sheet, should have won this game by a lot because they led in every single category, total yards, passing yards, rushing yards, yards per play, even first downs. Miami only had eight first downs, and Miami was only three of 12 from the third down conversion percentage. I mean, look, I'm looking at these numbers continuously. I mean, Miami had 48 total plays. St. Louis, excuse me, LA had 92 total plays. Miami punted three more times with nine than LA did with six. But at the end of the day, it just, you know, L.A. just could not score. Just another shock. Buffalo won their game, so Miami is still in second place. New England lost to Buffalo, so New England falls farther. The Jets are still winless. So it's just going to come down to, you know, in the stretch, who's going to win more games in the East? And I think that that is going to be a very neck-and-neck game because the Buffalo Bills offense does not look as dominant as it should have against a... Uh, Stephon Gilmore-less Patriots defense. They won this game by three points. That's my next game. Cam Newton, just, he hasn't looked good since he got diagnosed with COVID. I mean, he only had 174 yards on 15 completions. Damian Harris finally had a, a breakout game with 102 yards and a touchdown. Cam Newton had his usual 54 rushing yards and a touchdown. If I'm being honest with you, in my opinion, I think New England is literally running Cam into the ground. Because they rely too heavily on the fact that he is a mobile quarterback. Something that they have not had in years. Something that Josh McDaniels hasn't had since Tebow almost 10 years ago. Or if not if not 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, I just... He's been taking hits that are completely unnecessary. The offensive line hasn't played the best. Cam hasn't been able to hold the ball well. He's had a lot of turnovers in the last two to three weeks. I don't know if it's necessary to go out there and say a quarterback change is made because is Sudfeld better than him? Or I, I don't even remember their backup's name. It's completely irrelevant. It's the point. Is their backup better? Is Brian Hoyer better? No, they're not. Cam Newton is a former MVP. Cam Newton does it on both ends. He can run. He can throw. But it's like a lot of analysts have said. New England does not have 
anybody to catch the ball. Their leading receiver was Jacoby Myers. I don't even know who that is. And then Demir Bird, again, another player. With Edelman out, Nikhil Harry out, it, 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 it goes farther. You wonder why they cut Mohamed Sanu because they just did not have the veteran depth that they wanted. Belichick chalked it up to not having uh, a lot of money because they spent a lot of money on players to keep them locked up with the team so they didn't have enough cap space to go out there and go chase a, a, a receiver, to go out there and go make a trade for another playmaker because they didn't have a lot to give. A lot of players, a lot of teams didn't want to absorb those contracts. Um, you can make the argument that New England is missing two pro bowlers in Patrick Chung and, um, oh my God, what is this man's name, the linebacker? Oh, Dante Hightower. But it's not that the defense isn't playing well. It's the fact that the offense just cannot move the ball and take care of it. On the opposite side, Buffalo, Josh Allen only had 11 completions, 154 and an interception. Singletary and Zach Moss, once again, leading the way with rushing. Uh, Singletary had 86 yards. Zach had 81, both on 14 carries apiece, except Zach Moss got into the end zone. Stephon Diggs took advantage of his matchup and had more than 60% of the yards that Josh threw to him. He had 92 yards. Other than that, Cole Beasley, where were you? John Brown, where were you? Josh Allen is just not capitalizing on the situation of, you know, not having the defensive player of the year available. So, I mean, I don't I don't know what to tell you on that front, but, I mean, Buffalo seems to be a very weak 6-2, and two, especially with their inconsistencies offensively the last two to three weeks. So, I mean, I'm looking at the New England stat line. It wasn't that they really got to Josh because they only had one sack and then one pick, like I had stated. So, it wasn't that he didn't have time. It was, I would assume Josh just wasn't making good reads again, inclement weather. I would say, you know, I, I think I'm pretty sure I saw the wind out there in Buffalo being pretty bad as well. So that made it a little difficult to actually throw the ball this weekend had a lot of inclement weather games, but if I'm being honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami came out of nowhere and became the dark horse in the AFC East and won that division. Not because of Tua, not because of, you know, the defense that I said was there, but I would believe that the inconsistency of Buffalo being able to hold games through in the last couple of weeks will eventually fold. And Miami, if they continue this hot streak and Tua finds a way to get into a rhythm, I would say watch out. AFC East, Miami might be coming. The Oakland... Oakland. I gotta stop saying that. Damn it, there's so many teams that have been relocated in the last two, three years that I just keep fucking forgetting. The Las Vegas Raiders dominated the Browns 16-6. to I mean... Poopy game. Don't really want to get into it. I said the Raiders would end up winning. Uh, the Broncos ended up soaring all the way back in the game against the LA Chargers and won that game 31-30 to in the literal last second. Drew Locke doing his signature dance at the end of the game, showing that he's, he's not a bust and he is going to be a quarterback for the future for the Broncos to stay. Uh, unfortunately, uh, John Elway and the GM of the Broncos, I forget his name, tested positive for COVID, but they did fortunately confirm that they believe that it is from an outside source that did not involve team activities. So they are without their general manager and uh, vice president of football operations for the forthcoming two weeks. But not that they really make a difference when it comes to the game itself. So I'm going to get into the stat line. I mean, going into Justin Herbert, he had a couple of turnovers showing that he still is very much a rookie. Uh, 278, three touchdowns and two interceptions. Justin Jackson went out there and did what he needed to do. He had 89 yards on 17 touches. Uh, Troy Main Pope, I don't even know who the hell that is. He had 67 yards. Joshua Kelly had 32. And Herbert had a few rushes for 21 as well. Mike Williams, 
the usual, showing out that he can be a stud in the league when healthy. Mike Williams had a one-handed catch in the end zone, and he had 99 yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen doing his veteran know-how, getting open when needed to. Nine receptions, 67 yards, and a touchdown as well. And then Gabe Nabbers. I'm assuming that must be a fullback-ish person, fullback tight end kind of play action, roll out in the end zone. I didn't watch the whole game. He had a touchdown as well. Uh, I had Herbie in fantasy. I kind of needed him to ball out for 30-something, but his 23 points was enough to catapult me and Isabel's dad into second place. As I had stated a few weeks ago, we were 0-4. Bad luck, injuries, uh, didn't take advantage of matchups that we uh, did not agree upon in certain players, but we are now 4-4 on a four-game win streak, hottest team in the entire fantasy league, so, I mean, watch out. We're coming. Uh, going into the Broncos side now, Drew Locke, he had 248, three touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Philip Lindsay, he went out there and did his thing, showing that he needs to be the starter out there. He only had six touches, but he had 83 yards and a touchdown. Mind you, that comes with, I believe, a 50-yard touchdown run he had uh, in the third, but at the end of the day, or maybe in the fourth, I don't remember which one, but it was definitely in the second half. He broke out for one uh, one big one. Uh, Melvin Gordon, eight touches, 26 yards. So, I mean, they didn't really have to run the ball. They were playing from behind most of the game. Uh, Jerry Judy, 73 yards, Deshaun Hamilton, 82 yards, Fant, Noah Fant, should I say, seven receptions, 47 yards, and so on and so forth. The Denver defense went out there and they found ways to go out there and capitalize. I mean, they had, like I said, two interceptions, Bradley Chubb had a sack, Malik Red had a Reed had a sack, but that's about it. So, I mean, it was a shootout. It went, and it was a great and entertaining game for the, the, the plays that I did tune in and the uh, the overtime that we did, or not the overtime, the, the late game heroics from Drew Locke at the end. So, I mean, I would say Denver is transitioning upward. Um, they are coming behind Las Vegas quickly, Las Vegas being 4-3, and three, and then the Broncos being 3-4. and four. Obviously, the Chiefs are going to still win the division, but it is nice to see other teams competing in the division, even though they know they have no chance to compete with <laughs> the Chiefs. Saints and Bears, final overtime score, 26-23. I, I, what can I say here? The Saints are finding ways to do it without Michael Thomas, and the Saints are, I don't know. It's, it's very weird to say because I believe that they don't look as crisp and as precise as they should because of the talent that they have on all sides of the ball. I mean, mind you. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Emmanuel Sanders is on the COVID-restricted list. Michael Thomas is still hurt, and he's out there punching teammates in practice and whatnot. So who the hell knows when he's coming back. Hopefully he can come back for me and Isabel's dad this week in fantasy because he's played a total of one game and got us a total of maybe one point. So with the 10th overall pick, if you have somebody available, make sure... (laughs) <laughs> that you're for sure that's the person you want because, man, oh, man, that number one pick has been coming to bite us. We might be a lot better than freaking 4-4 four and four if Michael doesn't roll his ankle because Sean Payton's a retard. Uh, Drew Brees, like I said, 282 touchdowns. Alvin Kamara does his thing, of, of course, him being the best player on the field. He had 67 yards on uh, 12 carries. Alvin Kamara leading the way with nine receptions, 96 yards receiving. Jared Cook coming in in crucial uh, crunch time, coming in and having uh, five receptions for 51 yards and a touchdown when he needed to. Taysom Hill, the all-dual threat, does-it-all quarterback, utility man, had 30 yards receiving and a touchdown. He also had 35 yards rushing. So, I mean, 
the Bears aren't terrible. It's late errors by Nick Foles. Nick Foles had that turnover, unfortunately, throwing off of his back foot, throwing that interception. So, I mean, once again, it, it, it's not that Char- Charlotte. It's not that Chicago's bad. It is the fact that they are not capitalizing late in games to make sure that they can put themselves in the best position to win. Their defense isn't horrible. I mean, they did hold Drew Brees and the Saints to only 26 points, but that could be because Michael didn't play. That could be because a number of things, obviously. I mean, you you, you talk about defense. I mean, they're not really getting the pass rush as they normally would. Uh, Khalil Mack only had one sack and two tackles. So, I mean, like it's not like they're out there and they were crushing Drew. The Saints offensive line is better than that, so you can't really discredit them. Uh, Montgomery, he only had 89 yards. I have him in fantasy. Needed him to get a little bit more to win. Ended up losing the other two fantasy leagues by a combined total of, I think, three and a half points, four points or something like that. That that pissed me off. I'll get into that in a second because there's so much irony behind why I lost the first one, but it is what it is. Uh, Allen Robinson, he's out there doing his thing. 87 yards receiving, one touchdown. Uh, Darnell Mooney, he had 69 yards and a touchdown. Uh, an interesting topic I want to get into is the scuffle that happened in this in this game. So Javon Wims and Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, the 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 cornerback from the Saints that played for the Gators. He has such a long name, I always mix up the order of which name comes first. They got into a scuffle, right? So it turns out that at one point, Gardner Johnson went up. To Wims, took his mouthpiece off and was talking shit. Uh, Wims says that he spit on him. The tape doesn't really show that. It does show that he ripped the mouthpiece off and talked shit. So Wims came off the field and apparently he had to wait 11 minutes before he can get back on that field. And within those 11 minutes, he must have been on that sideline focused and he must have been thinking. And he must have been pretty damn pissed off that he couldn't retaliate. But his retaliation, to me, in my opinion, absolutely unacceptable the second he got back on the field he ran back at Chauncey Gardner Johnson and Chauncey Johnson Gardner Chauncey you see what I mean it's so confusing and I should probably know and I can look it up right here actually let me just make sure that I have this correct Chauncey Gardner Johnson that is his name I was right the first time I don't know why I doubt myself Gardner Johnson wasn't even making a play on the ball. Neither was Wims. Nowhere near. Wims comes back, snatches, attempts to snatch the mouthpiece back off of Johnson, and then proceeds to punch him in the face. Not once, but twice, and then yoke him up to start a fight. I, to me, that's just disrespectful. I, I get it. You're upset. He took your mouthpiece. He probably said some stuff. Who knows? Did he spit on you? I, the only person that's going to know is him. But he, his retaliation was absolutely unacceptable. You don't just walk up to somebody, crack them in the face, crack them again. You know what I'm saying? They're just two cheap shots, and then you wrestle them to the ground all over a mouthpiece. Yes, COVID is going on, but you are a NFL football player with plenty of staff to go out there and get you another piece, a sterilized piece. Is it disrespectful? Is it wrong? Did you feel like a bitch? Probably. Did you feel insulted, disrespected, like I said? Probably. But in 11 minutes, the only thing that went through your mind was the second you go out there, I'm going to rip this motherfucker's shit off his face, and then I'm going to beat his ass. For what? For what? You got ejected, 
and un- I don't understand how he was only suspended two games. Like Goodell needs to, the, the NFL needs to hand a way stricter suspension down. That like he blatantly went out there. This is why I wish I had a YouTube because I can kind of talk over as the video is playing, rewind, and you know I'm not technologically the most advanced person in the world, so I don't know how to do any of that. But I will eventually have to learn when this goes somewhere. But I mean, he went out there, and I mean, he full swung, open-handed, because, mind you, let's let's think about this. In the NFL, what do you wear on your head? A helmet. How the hell do you plan on punching someone with an NFL-ready helmet on? A full-on, fully closed, or like fully sealed helmet. It wasn't half off, wasn't on top of his head. He swung with the almighty force of God to say, yo, I'm a beat your ass, but I might break my hand in the process because I'm an idiot. Like... There's no place for that in the NFL. That's just dirty. That's stupid. That's immature. If if I'm being honest with you, actions like that deserve a way further suspension than uh, 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 a player smoking marijuana. Like I understand that it's it's against NFL policy. It's you know against the rules. But we're talking about something you do to yourself versus you doing to another player. Like what happened if that hand slipped into the the crease of the face mask and poked him in the eye and he lost an eye? What happens if he gave him a concussion? What happens if the fight that turned into a brawl to split it up got somebody on the other team hurt or got coaching staff members hurt for trying to break it up or got a referee hurt? We've all seen referees get in the middle of skirmishes to try to split it up and they get you know collateral their collateral damage. I just I don't think it's appropriate. I think that the suspension was weak, and I think that Wims needs to really reevaluate if he wants to play in the NFL or not. Like, I understand coming from where I come from, ain't no shit going to be tolerated when you're disrespected, but you have to remember there's a time and a place. And to go out there after 11 minutes of really waiting and having time to technically cool off, the first thing you want to do is beat the shit out of somebody. Like, it just doesn't show your maturity in the league, and that's all I'm going to say on it. It was very soft. It was a very weak attempt at trying to show off your strength and... Uh, I don't know. It just, it was stupid. Uh, 49ers, Seahawks, Seahawks win that game. Russell Wilson furthers his, uh, his campaign for MVP. Five more touchdown passes for him. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo ends up leaving that game with another high ankle sprain. They think he may need surgery. So he's probably out for the season if I had to bet my bottom dollar on it. I'm going to go right into the Eagles and Cowboys game because that's the game. Excuse me. That is the game that I was referring to about fantasy. So I'm going to break it down for you guys, right? For those of you that don't know how fantasy works, I would assume most of you do because you are the people that still listen to my podcast after 22 weeks of nonsense. Um, You have a quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, a tight end, a flex player, and a defense, right? Those are the people that are going to get you points based off of the statistics that they produce throughout the game. I was down by 11 point something, 11 and a half points. And he, that my opponent had no players left. I had Carson Wentz only because Deshaun Watson was on a bye. So I said, Carson's been cooking the last couple of weeks. Whether Philly's been playing good or not, he's been getting enough fantasy points for me to be confident in him to get at least 11. I thought Carson would get at least 15 no, you know what? I'm not even going to bullshit. I thought Carson was going to give me 30 points because the Cowboys have the worst defense in the NFL. They have a third-string, no-name quarterback coming into this game, and the Eagles have a very confident and decent defense. And I said, the amount of times that Dallas is going to come onto the field and not score, the offense is going to get plenty of opportunities to go out there and put up points. Boy, was I motherfucking wrong. Philly wins this game 23-9 to handedly because their defense went out there and scored. However... How 
ever. Carson Wentz had four fucking turnovers by himself. Two lost fumbles, two interceptions, absolutely unacceptable. And I lost my damn game by two and a half points. I lost my fucking game by two and a half points because Carson Wentz is completely incompetent. Does he know that money is on the line? Does he understand that I have cheered for this team for the last two years of my fucking relationship? I've been watching their damn games. I've been cheering them on. I've been upset when they lost. And he goes out there and gives me 8.54 fucking points. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. I'm not happy about it. I'm furious. I'm frustrated. I want to write a letter. It ain't going to go nowhere. I want to tweet the guy. He's not going to care. It's the point. Damn it, Carson. Four turnovers. Absolutely unacceptable from my perspective and a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Which I'm not. I'm a, you know, I'm a supportive fan because of, you know, the family that I cheer with for. But still, you know, I've come to support the Eagles because you watch them for so long, you want them to win, you root for them. Anyway, I just, I can't understand how one individual can make such a stupid decision as, as, he really throws into the most terrible situations. He tries to force plays downfield. And when people aren't open, he tries to roll out of the pocket. And instead of throwing the ball away, he waits till the very minimal, absolute, no chance of a second to, to throw the ball away. And he gets sacked twice and loses the ball because he has fumbled more than most quarterbacks have in his career since he's entered the league. If not, I think the most. He has the most fumbles since the time he's entered the NFL because he doesn't know how to take care of the ball because he's always trying to extend the play. And I understand you don't want the play to end. You feel like your team can create separation. You feel like you can make the play with your legs. But there just comes a time in your life where you need to understand. You need to throw the fucking ball away, bro. If you don't have two of those turnovers, I win the game. Get your fucking head out of your ass, Carson. Come on, son. This is for money, and you're lucky that the Cowboys are horrible right now. Because if, if, if Dak Prescott's in this game, you get blown out. And I mean absolutely blown out. Because you gave them too many opportunities with those turnovers. Thankfully, they had a no-name quarterback behind the center. Or under center. Ben DiNucci. Sounds like somebody out of the damn Sopranos. It, Philly's rush defense was all over it. Zeke had 63 yards on 3.3 on yards per carry. Tony Pollard was getting touches later in life. And later in the game. I said later in life. C.D. Lamb was out there doing nothing 27 yards Amari Cooper was absolutely invisible he had five yards Michael Gallup was the guy that everyone was looking at and Dalton Schultz because the tight end was always open over the middle of the field late in the game so it was garbage time you know garbage points but Carson 123 2-2 Boston Scott was averaging 4.7 yards a carry no idea why Doug Peterson ran away from the run game because I, I I don't know I don't have explanations I don't have ideas I don't have any concept of what's going on Travis Fulgham has come out and shown that he's the number one receiver on that team he leads the NFL since he's come into the league in week three or week four whenever it was and he leads the league with receiving yards I believe he has four or five touchdowns as well and he's showing that he is the real deal in fact facing multiple defenses and doing it consistently on week in and week out uh, Jalen Rager he came out there and he only had 16 yards, but you know it's been about a month and a half since he's played. He scores a touchdown on a on a, on a goal line stand there or on a goal line uh, drag route throughout the, throughout the bottom of the end zone. Dallas Goddard's first week back in about a month with his broken ankle. He's coming back with the recovery, and now the Eagles go into a bye, leading the division at four three and four, three four and one. I don't know why I'm starting to hesitate, starting to stutter. It's probably the frustration of losing that fantasy game. Gotta calm down. It is what it is.
And then the final game that I didn't watch, nor did I care for, the Buccaneers scrape away and come out with a win, 25-23. I haven't even looked at the stat line here, so I'm just going to take a look really quick. Uh, Tom Brady, 279, two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette led with 15 touches. Very surprising as uh, Rojo has been the leading rusher on the team the whole season. Uh, So um, Rojo had a fumble early on, so Leonard Fournette kind of took the carries. Uh, Mike Evans leads the way with 55 yards and a touchdown. Of course, I play Tyler Lockett because he scores 50-something points the week before. Mike Evans gets me one or two, so I swap him. And what happens if I play Mike Evans? I win that. You know what? Fuck it. It is what it is. This is why fantasy football gives me anxiety, and this is why it frustrates me. I don't really care about the Bucks score because the Bucks, uh, it's expected. So I'm going to go take a look and... Take a dive into this Giants line. Give me a second. Daniel Jones, 256, two TDs, two interceptions. Not a surprise. I didn't even know the Giants had Alfred Morris. Uh, Wayne Gallman had 44 yards. I guess Devontae Freeman was a healthy scratch or a scratch. I don't know. Sterling Shepard, 74 yards. Evan Ingram, 61. Darius Slayton, 56. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nothing really surprising. I mean, they had they were getting the... Wow, they had a couple of sacks against Brady. What did they have? Leonard Williams had one. Carter Coughlin had one. Yeah, no, I, I guess... Yeah, it's it, just two. I, I, I misread. But, you know, the Bucks sitting 6-2, and two, top of the division in the NFC South. Giants, 1-7. and seven. I would probably say the Giants are the second best team in the division because their games are decently close once again another team that has lost by a lot of narrow margins uh starting from week one they lost by 10 to the Steelers lost by four to the Bears the Niners game was a blowout the Rams they lost by eight Cowboys they lost by three Washington they won by one Eagles they lost by one and then they lost to the Bucks by two The Giants are a bad football team, don't get me wrong, but they are in a lot of those games as well. I would say not to sleep on the Giants. I know a lot of people are asking for Daniel Jones' head. Rightfully so, because the man has committed more turnovers in his two seasons than most people have in their careers, and I do apologize. I believe it's 36 career turnovers in a total of, what, like 20-something games? So it's, it's pretty bad. But, I mean, like, you know, you tighten that up, you get a better offensive line, your defense ships up a little bit, who knows what happens. But, nevertheless, I'd probably say the Giants are not the worst team in the division. I would easily say that is probably the Dallas Cowboys, but who knows. Um, it Like I said, it was a big week, a lot of upsets, a lot of close games. So I would say Week 8 was great, entertaining, a lot of fun. Uh, week 9... I would say has a pretty good matchups uh, matchups to keep an eye on. I would probably say just looking at from the top, Colts play the Ravens. Both of us five and two. Uh, if we win the game, we take a step up on Tennessee. If they happen to lose their game, actually, I think Tennessee is are they on a bye? No, Tennessee plays the Bears. I forgot they had their bye early due to COVID. Um, so yeah, right then and there, first game I see circle. Uh, you got the uh, Ravens and Colts in Indianapolis, uh, Bears and Titans, uh, Titans at 5-2, and two, Bears 5-3, and three, both of them coming off hard losses, uh, Seahawks and Bills 6-2 uh, and two and 6-1, and one, so we'll see what happens in that regard. It's in Buffalo, so we'll see how the inclement weather does with that. And then you have Cardinals and Dolphins, two hot teams in the league right now, um, Kyler Murray lighting it up. And then Miami coming off their uh, their upset win against the uh, the Rams, 
And then the Saints-Buccaneers coming on real quick Sunday night. You get that Drew Brees-Tom Brady rematch. Both teams fully in swing of it. Both teams one game off. Or should I say not both. Uh, the Saints are one game behind the, the Bucks. If they win, they are tied for the division lead. So next week should be interesting. As well as next week should be interesting for college football. But before I get into next week, I'm just going to get into some of the games that really caught my eye this week in college football. So let us take a look. Georgia struggles against Kentucky, 14-3. to I'm not as engulfed in college as I should be. I am not as in tuned as I should be. I am learning week to week the more that I do watch. But I do know that losing, or should I say being, wrong word again, Coming this close to losing to Kentucky or, you know, playing this playing it this close to the vest with only scoring 14 points against an unranked Kentucky team in Kentucky shows a little bit of a concern. Obviously, Georgia is probably the second best team in the SEC right behind Alabama because Bama did beat them a few weeks back. Uh, I would say that this is a little bit of a concern for Georgia fans going into this next week matchup against us, the Florida Gators. Uh, Georgia being the fifth seed, and we are the eighth best team in the country. I think it's going to be a matchup for the ages, a.k.a. I think that Florida gets the shit kicked out of them. Uh, sorry to my boy Nate. I just don't know if our defense can contain that offense. But then again, it looks like Kentucky did a pretty good job of keeping that offense under duress. So we'll see what happens. I'm very nervous. Uh, Michigan ends up falling to Michigan State in the big house. Uh, we all know Michigan is poop. Shout out to my boy Jake Dunbar. Um, watched the entire Ohio State-Penn State game, and it just looked like Ohio State was playing with kids. I mean, I don't even know. Ohio State's defense kind of let up a couple of points in garbage time, but Ohio, Ohio State is a real team to be reckoned with, so I would say everybody needs to watch out. Uh, Cincinnati continues to show the country why they are in the top – 10 in the rankings they are just dominating everybody they play this season winning against memphis 49 to 10 i know what you're thinking it's just memphis but it's what you need to do against poop teams like that you know if that's what that's on your schedule then you need to beat them by a lot of points to show you know this is why we're here uh clemson uh escapes a nail biter in death valley they win 34 to 28 against boston college uh, without Trevor Lawrence, who was diagnosed with COVID a few days prior to the game and has been ruled out for next week's big matchup against Notre Dame. So we'll see what happens. The freshman quarterback, or should I say the true freshman quarterback, went out there and played his ass off. He had 342 and two TDs. And, you know, Travis Intent, Intenny, I always forget how to pronounce his name, but he just continues to show why he's the most electrifying running back in college football. He had 84 yards on the ground and a touchdown. He had 140 yards receiving and a touchdown. That's an average of 20 yards per reception. Completely outlandish for a running back to average that in a game. But, you know, the experience of Clemson holding it together, that defense making plays, and then the inability of the Boston College quarterback to go out there and make plays after a tough hit in the fourth quarter just showed why Clemson is still the number one team in the country. Uh, Clemson, like I just stated, has a very big matchup coming up against Notre Dame. I'm hoping Clemson can slap them up because I am not the biggest Notre Dame fan. In my opinion, they are one of those teams that are consistently overrated every single season. They have played in an independent conference for the last few years, playing a bunch of random schools, you know, throwing in a bunch of random uh, ranked opponents throughout the season. And they're always voted within the top 10 of the season toward the end because, once again, they don't play anyone. But... I'm hoping Clemson mops the floor with them. Shout out to my boy Jim, uh, super big Clemson fan, through and through, well before the dominance of the last uh, five to six years that they've achieved. 
Uh, as I stated, uh, I believe that Clemson should come out on top. Uh, going into the next game, I have Indiana here beating Rutgers. They are ranked 13th in the country. That is who my friend Jake Dunbar says is going to give Ohio State their best run for their money because they just seem to be the best team that has remaining on Ohio's schedule, and I'll get into that in a second. Uh, LSU, the fall from the championship could not have been any greater. They are under 500, and they get blown out by Auburn 48-11. to If I'm being honest, I said this was coming with LSU having a completely unrealistic what seemed to be uh, Madden ultimate team on their roster last season both on both sides of the ball on offense and defense just goes to show that when players do leave and you know new players come in that team chemistry will never be the same again they will never repeat that dominance I don't think any team will but it just goes to show you know that one year was enough for them to get Ed Oregon his extension because who knows at the end of this year they might have to reevaluate because they just straight out suck Notre Dame beats poop Georgia Tech 31 to 13 as they should Texas comes out with the upset against Oklahoma State and wins in overtime 41 to 34 Boise State comes out and dominates Air Force 49 to 30 Alabama takes care of Mississippi State as they should 41 to nothing Ohio State like I said uh, Navy goes out and loses to 18 SMU 51 37 Florida dominates Missouri as they should have, 41-17. to It looked like the Gators' defense finally did decide to wake up and make plays. The offense obviously continuously on a roll. Kyle Trask still making strides at a Heisman potential, you know, finalist run. Uh, Texas A&M goes out there and dominates Arkansas, 42-31. to Oklahoma just completely outslings, tex- uh, outslings Texas Tech and then just takes off in the second half, 62-28. And then BYU goes out and dominates Western Kentucky. Never heard of them before. They win 41-10. to 10. Next week is going to be the game of matchups. Next week is going to be the game where the rankings completely change. And the only reason I say that is because BYU plays Boise. Michigan plays Indiana. I'm just, I'm sorry guys, I'm still looking here. Uh, Florida obviously plays Georgia. Clemson plays Notre Dame. And yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it. But there are a lot of ranked matchups coming into next week. And I really do think that the matchups overall, or should I say the rankings, will probably change. So, I mean, I the game that I'm obviously going to circle is a matchup of top 10 schools. That's going to be Florida, Georgia at the neutral site. And uh, I believe Jacksonville. We will see what happens there. I do not know the outcome. It's a 3.30 setting or 3.30 matchup. 3.30 time kickoff. I can't speak because I am so damn nervous. Georgia's had our number the last couple of years. Obviously, if we had the offense that we did this season last year, who knows if we would have been able to dominate or maybe even come out with the win. I can say the same thing about LSU. Uh, Just both those games last year we had and then we gave up. So I don't know if our defense is going to be able to hold. Showing one week against a weaker SEC school in Missouri does not give me enough confidence for us to go out there and beat the powerhouse that is Georgia. And in my opinion, the winner of this game will be facing Alabama in the SEC championship. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Alabama's rolling. They're doing what they need to do. We all knew that they were going to be a uh, a still stable and powerful house in the SEC. But, you know, we didn't know if Mac Jones was going to be able to do what he's been doing. So they've been consistent and good. And that's what they need to do to continue to be the best team in the best conference in college football. 
Uh, NBA news, the collective bargaining has still been in discrepancy, or should I say the commissioner's office and the team owners as well as GMs have been in discussion on when the NBA restart should be. We have been hearing multiple rumors of the NBA starting right before Christmas. We've heard times as, you know, starting the NBA players would like it to be after January 10th or something of of the sort. The commissioner wants it to be on Christmas Day. So, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. It's back and forth. The commissioner stated this week that it has been, it's taken a lot of time. It's taken a lot of manpower. So he does not know what's going to happen in that front, but they do know that the window for an opportunity to pick a day is closing. I would probably say, in my personal opinion, they need to wait until January because Christmas is not enough time. It is obviously November 3rd. If they do set the date to be in December, that would mean that they're going to have to start going back to camp, working out preseason and all that, whatever it is that they decide to do. If they're doing a bubble again, we don't know, but that would mean that everyone's got to report within the next two to three weeks, and I don't know if players have completely healed, a.k.a. the Lakers and the Heat, from playing an exhausting season in the bubble as often as they did on short days rest. So I don't know if it's the smartest decision in the world. Uh, in other news, the Giannis Antetokounmpo stakes have continued. The Dallas Mavericks have stated that they are willing to trade every and all pieces that are not named Luka Doncic and Chris Stapps Porzingis to make a play. And if they do not win the sweepstakes, they are willing to trade in the draft to go and pick a player to be a third star along those two superstars. My opinion, play with what we have. If we attract a free agent, we do. If not, it is what it is. I think that we have enough to compete in the West. I don't know if it's enough to compete with the Lakers and the Clippers, depending on if they end up blowing that team up and trading Paul George, as that is another rumor that has been circulating. There are some rumors that Paul George might land in Miami. If Giannis does not go to Miami, there are some rumors that they may or may not let go of a lot of those role players, a.k.a. Uh, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, and etc. You know. Obviously, with Ty Williams, no, Ty Lue being the new head coach over there in L.A., excuse me. I'm thirsty as hell. I tend to get a little cotton mouth when you uh, talk so fast and talk so much. <laughs> but it is what I love to do. So, uh, yeah, like I was saying, with the Clippers and whatnot, we don't know what's going to happen there. Denver is completely reloaded. They're healthy, so who knows what happens with that. Uh, there is rumor as of today that the Philadelphia 76ers are interested in trading for James Harden. Uh, the Houston Rockets more than likely will come out with a statement saying that they are completely uninterested, I would assume, as that is their man. I would just probably go with the fact that they would trade um, Russell Westbrook before they go and trade the face of their franchise, as obviously Mike D'Antoni has left that staff and has agreed to go and be an assistant coach with Steve Nash in Brooklyn, which I find to be hysterical. Uh the LA Lakers are still pursuing Chris Paul. They're pursuing and looking at all options of how to get him there. I don't know if that's going to work. Uh, the Golden State Warriors have announced that they are, they have a package that includes Andrew Wiggins and some other role players to go out there and get Giannis, but Giannis has denied that rumor as well as if he did go to Golden State, he is not comfortable and does not know if he would sign an extension with the team. There's a lot of stuff going on in the NBA, man. I, I'm waiting for the first free agent knock to you know fall, the domino to fall. I'm waiting for someone to, to announce that they're going somewhere. I'm waiting for the draft. I'm waiting for everything. <laughs> I just, excuse me, it's, acid reflux of mine has been killing me the last two days. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens in the NBA because depending on where Giannis goes can really determine on how a certain team is going to look. If he comes to Dallas, I'm not going to be as upset 
as I'm leading. Obviously, I don't want him because I don't want to lose a lot of pieces. But if he comes, obviously, that makes us a potential top three seed in the West with Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Porzingis, and Luka Doncic. That three-headed monster is a beast in itself. Um, if he goes to Miami, that just shows Miami completely reloads and then adds another piece. That's a pretty scary matchup. If he goes to Golden State, Golden State has the makeups of a complete another dynasty coming with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. That lineup is absolutely astronomically insane. Uh, offensively, that 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 seems to be the most efficient offense. I know Giannis can't shoot, but I mean he will be there for every single rebound that the two Splash Brothers do miss. Him and Draymond, very physical defenders down at the post. Uh, obviously, we know Clay is one of the best, if not the best, perimeter defender in the NBA when healthy. You can make the argument with Jimmy Butler. You can make the argument with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But it's the point. He is a top tier defender when healthy. So, I mean, the Warriors completely reloaded. Who knows what happens? Uh, They could also package in that number two overall pick that they have this year in the draft. So, I don't know. But, again, even though it's all rumors, the NBA is starting to dial up and it's starting to show why it can be some of the most interesting and probably most fun off-seasons in sports. Uh, With the MLB, the MLB is still investigating the incident with Justin Turner and him coming out to to the field after he diagnosed or got after he tested positive with COVID after the eighth inning. I don't know what's going to go on there. I don't know if you can completely punish the man for doing what he wants to do. Uh, I mean, I understand both sides. Obviously, you need to keep your teammates safe, but he was already out there on the field and in the dugout with them for two, three hours. So if they got it, they got it already. Um, If he had it that long, his wife already probably had it. But he did endanger those of additional staff, people in the bullpen. So, I mean, like, I get it. I understand. Uh, the Yankees made a qualifying offer to DJ LeMayhew. The official offer line has not been revealed. I That or I don't know officially. Uh, we'll see what happens. Tommy Canehill did deny his offer, and he opts in to be a free agent. Giancarlo Stanton opts into his contract, as he should, owing, I believe, $27 million this season. He'd be stupid if he opted out. Opted out. So we have him for another year. Uh, the Yankees do decline Brett Gardner and... J.A. Haps offers, and they go into free agency as well. The Yankees offseason is the Yankees offseason is starting to heat up. I am still awaiting the news that Gary Sanchez is either traded and or cut. Excuse me once again. Um, I am curious to hear what the offer is for DJ and if that is enough for him to stay in New York. He was announced that he is an AL MVP finalist as well as a Gold Glove finalist, as was Gio Urshela and as was. Uh, Clint Frazier. We have a couple of studs on this team. I'm very curious to see what happens going forward. Uh, We will continue to monitor when the MLB is going to be coming back. I would probably assume it's going to come back at a normal pace, just like everybody else. Or not? No, actually, no. Probably not like everybody else because the MLB did end at the point in which they said it would. It ended in October. Probably come back normally, just like spring training with February and March. It just depends on if they're going to do a bubble from the jump. Or if they're going to try this whole traveling thing all over again. Very curious to see how that works. But I mean, that's your sports wrap up for the week. That is the episode. Uh, Once again, big shout out to everybody that has partaken in, you know, reaching out, listening, reposting, everything that you guys have done. Uh, Shout out to uh, my boy Kyle. He's still doing his podcast, like I had stated, you know, the Home Field Podcast. If you haven't already followed and tuned in, please do. Great content. Man does great visual effects. Follow him on YouTube, on Anchor, and everything like that. And like I had stated earlier, for the Culture Podcast, Luke and Jason running a great show over there. 
Uh, subscribe to their YouTube page. Follow them on Apple Podcasts. All Colts, all the time, and NFL news whenever you need it. So with that being said, I hope everybody has a great night. Hope everybody had a very happy and safe Halloween. And I'll be seeing you guys again next week. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.